0: Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, the opportunity to be here at this conference, to grow in a knowledge of mostly, hopefully, and prayerfully who you are, that we would um, not just take these things for granted, but that you have given us these living parables, that you have given us these object lessons and these, these tools at our fingertips to grow in a knowledge of who you are, that you are... Um, gracious to us that even even in these parables you've given us tools to make a living that we could have uh, food and sustenance for ourselves that we could uh, have a means by which to take care of ourselves on our farms and on our homes and our gardens and, and that you are forever um, pouring out your blessings upon us help us to receive them help us to realize them and recognize them as they're happening and not take them for granted Help us to be able to hear your voice, that small, still voice sometimes, and that we would look to you for guidance and direction that we might learn of thee. Even now, I pray you would hide me behind your cross, that you would use me as a tool, that you would speak through me, that you might have a message for your people. Lord, I pray for each person here that they would not just be hearers of these things, as we said in the last lecture, but they would be doers, that they would put these things into practice and they not be found slothful in the work you've set before them father i pray that i too would not be slothful in the work you've set before me but that we might glorify and honor you that we might be a fit vessel in your hand that we might be found worthy to stand in that day i pray in jesus name and for his sake we pray amen all right so this this class is called sower in the seed i'm going to sit down if that's okay if i'm not loud enough just tell me tend to be a quiet talker. So if I'm not loud enough, just say, hey, speak up. I'll try to talk louder. I'll try to talk loud to begin with, but just in case. Um, And so we'll just get started here. I want to start with a quote from Reflecting Christ. It says, there is no chance work in this life. The harvest will determine the character of the seed that has been sown. you think about that one. It will always testify. You will not be able to hide in the harvest. So we'll get started here with the first quote. It's going to be Christ Object Lessons, page 17.1. In Christ's parable teaching, the same principle is seen as in his own mission to the world. That he might become acquainted, that we might become acquainted with his divine character and life. Christ took our nature and dwelt among us. Divinity was revealed in humanity, the invisible glory in the visible human form. Men could learn of of the unknown through the known. Heavenly things were revealed through the earthly. God was made manifest in the likeness of men. So it was in Christ's teaching, the unknown was illustrated by the known, divine truths by earthly things with which the people we're most familiar. I have a question. What is the principle of Christ's parables? It says here that there's a principle. What do you see here that's the principle? I have a thought, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Unity between the divine and the human. Unity between the divine and the human. Anybody else see anything else? Known to unknown. It's a good principle, Paul tells us. What he's, what's Paul say? He says, "The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in the things He have made. He has made. Yeah. I was thinking of, in Paul's writings, he says that um, the physical precedes the spiritual." Interesting thought. You repeat that? The physical precedes the spiritual. Proceeds comes before. The principle that I saw here that I thought was interesting that, that I drew, drew, I don't think anyone was wrong in their statements. I think they were all correct. What I saw was he's revealing divinity in humanity. He came in human form to reveal the nature and character of God to us. And he did that in himself, but he also did that in his parable teaching. And so, I have another question. What is his mission to the world, according to this? It says, Christ's parable teaching. In Christ's parable teaching, the same principle is seen as in his own mission to the world. What do you think his mission to the world was? He revealed, he revealed God. That's one. Anybody else? Yes. To reveal that it's possible for God so the divinity could dwell in man, yes. but mostly, and most, pinnacle, yes. was that God, would His character would be revealed to man? Yes. 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 But ultimately, to the universe. Because the accusation of Satan. That's that right. Our heavenly Father is unjust. Amen. And so He's He's on trial, but through our lives, Christ dwelling in us, we can have a part in glorifying our heavenly. So Christ dwelling in us, we have a part to glorify our Heavenly Father. It's revealed through Christ and through Christ in us. The vindication of the accusation Satan has leveled at our Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. My observation was, it was to reveal divinity and humanity. Basically the same thing. I agree. What a beautiful quote. Do you know, the, do you know where I got this? You know page 17? In Christ Object Lessons, you know what page that is? That's the first page. That's actually the first thing in Christ Object Lessons. I think it's important sometimes to look at the first thing in a book. Because it kind of is setting up the rest of the book for you. And Christ Object Lessons are? Parables. And so, that's why I looked at that. All right. So we're going to go to Signs of the Times, March 27, 1893, paragraph 2. Now, a lot of people tell me I read a lot of quotes. And I'm going to tell you why, okay? I read a lot of quotes because I don't think what I have to say is of much value. But I think that the Bible and the spirit of prophecy are of a limitless value. And if we can read these quotes and wrestle with ourselves to try to understand these quotes by the, the spirit by the rules that we've been given to look at these things, I think we do far better than listening to men. I know myself well enough to know that I'm not interested in what I have to say, but what God wants to say to us. So I hope you can appreciate that. When the soil has been prepared for the reception of the seed, the sower cast it in, and by processes which men cannot control or understand— the seed begins to grow and advances to maturity. Jesus compared the growth of the kingdom of God to the sowing of seed and to its development into the full measure of maturity. The seed is the word of God. And the soul who receives it is said to be born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, which liveth and abideth forever. Wow. What did you catch in that? What is the? What do you think the theme of that, little, that short paragraph there would be? The seed is the word of God. Amen. Amen. At least for me, it stands out that processes which man cannot control or understand, kind of the mystery of God's life in that seed. The mystery of what God has placed in the seed that he draws forth. That he alone causes that to, to take action, yeah? Hello? I agree with that statement as well. I love the power of the seed, the word of God, to change us completely, to give us a new word. And it says, if we receive it, we'll be born again. Amen. Mm-hmm. If we Thank receive you. it. If we would receive the power of the Word of God, it has the power to change us. That's right. You know, it's the only power that can change us, right? Amen. I'll tell you what I see in this verse. The Word appears twice. Maturity. Maturity in Christ. We grow up into Christ. I think that it's not an accident that that Word appears there twice. Do you see it? here and there because the Christian walk is what it's a it's a continually growing in maturity so what's the seed got to do what's the first thing happens when you throw that seed into the ground what's that seed need to do it needs to germinate once it germinates it's going to come out of the ground and what's it going to do it's going to grow it's going to mature all right is that a parable yeah. amen see they're everywhere everything we read it's constant christ spoke in he taught in parables who's our model christ is our model in all things so how should we teach we should be teaching in parables Amen. All right, John 12:24. Verily, verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Wow. What does that sound like to you? Anybody got any eye? What do you, what do you hear there? What's that wheat got to do? Go into... It has to die. We die daily. When, when did you die? You died in baptism. Every day. Christ has to die every day. No, Christ died once for all. We die daily. Christ died once for all. But what what had to happen? That kernel, that grain of wheat had to go into the ground. And what did that grain of wheat do? It comes forth to do what? Bring forth much fruit. Oh, amen. Sounds like baptism. Go into that watery grave to come forth a new creature. And then daily, we commit to that. Yeah? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So we'll look here. Signs of the Times, July 1st, 1897, paragraph 10. Every harvest, every harvest this lesson is repeated. Those who till the soil have the illustration of the Savior's words ever before them. Year by year, men perceive his grain, his preserve his grain by apparently throwing it away. His choice is sample. When you, when you save your seed, what do you save back for food? And what do you save back for your seed? You always pull your seed out first because you want the best. Because you want that crop to get better and better and better every year, right? So apparently, we're going to save it back our best in order to throw it away. For a time, this must be hidden under the furrow to be watched over by the Lord. Then appears the blade, then the ear, and then the corn in the ear. But this development cannot take place unless the grain is buried out of sight, hidden and to all appearances lost. The seed buried in the ground produces fruit, and in their turn the seeds of this fruit are planted. Thus the harvest is multiplied, so the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary will bear fruit unto eternal life. The contemplation of this sacrifice will be the glory of those who, as the fruit of it, will live through the eternal ages. Brothers and sisters, You can be that fruit. Think about that parable. We oftentimes put forth this idea of the going out. But before we go out, I have a saying, you win people to what you win them with. You ever heard that? If we win them with some other model, if we win them with some other concept or idea other than Christ, what have we won them to? A counterfeit. Amen. So step one, bind yourself to Christ. You too must have Christ's experience. You too must go into that grave. You must be cast into the furrow so that you can come forth and bear much fruit. Because who, what's the fruit that you're going to bear? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? Right? All right. This is from Christ Object Lessons, page 63. The parable of the seed reveals that God is at work in nature. The seed has in itself a germinating principle, a principle that God himself has implanted. Yet, if left to itself, the seed would have no power to spring up. Man has his part to act in promoting the growth of the grain. He must prepare and enrich the soil and cast in the seed. He must till the fields. But there is a point beyond which he can accomplish nothing. No strength or wisdom of man can bring forth from the seed the living plant. Let man put forth his efforts to the utmost limit. He must still depend upon one who has connected the sowing and the reaping by wonderful links of his own omnipotent power. What do you think would happen if we just went out and took all of our wheat and threw it in a fallow field? Think that would go good? Be a good good idea, good plan? Probably wouldn't get much return for our effort. You know why? No, hardly, any effort. hardly any effort. Because the sowing, <laughs> the seed will always <laughs> tell you what the, the fruit is, right? The fruit will always tell you what the seeding was. We read that in the first part of it right so we have our part to play while we can't make the seed germinate while we can't of ourselves bring life forth without us now you think about this christ is giving us a model here spirit of prophecy is telling us without us There's no hope for that seed. Now you think about what that means the choices we make day by day, moment by moment, the things we choose to put our thoughts upon, things we choose to put on our bodies, in our bodies, things we choose to put our eyes to, what's on our phones, what's going on in our lives. will be testified to in the sowing and the reaping it goes on to say there is life in the seed there is power in the soil but unless an infinite power is exercised day and night the seed will yield no return the sowers of rain must the showers pardon me the showers of rain must be set to give moisture to the thirsty fields the sun must impart heat electricity must be conveyed to the buried seed The life which the creator has implanted, he alone can call forth. Every seed grows, every plant develops by the power of God. We have our part to play. But unless it's the power of God in us, it is a mere work of our own power and strength and it will fail. Amen. We must remain connected to the source of all life. What's the parable? The sowing, the sower and the seed, the great model, Christ. So there's a quote here. I want to, if I can get this to come up here. From Steps to Christ, page 47. I think I quoted it at the last one off the top of my head, but I wanted to read this. It's not going to be up on the screen. It says, The power of choice God has given to man is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So your part to act, we read in the first part of this, is to put your will on his side. He's given you commission. He's given you all these writings. He's given you the scriptures. He's given you all you need. You put your will on his side, and he will change your heart. He will bring forth that fruit. Because in us, there is no hope. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None are righteous, no, not one. All right. Education, page 106.1. The plant grows by receiving that which God has provided to sustain its life. So spiritual growth is attained through cooperation with divine agencies. As the plant takes root in the soil, so we are to take root in Christ. As the plant receives the sunshine, the dew, and the rain, so are we to receive the Holy Spirit. If our hearts are stayed upon Christ, He will come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. As the Son of Righteousness, He will arise upon us with healing in His wings. We shall grow as the lily. We shall receive, I'm sorry, we shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. How's the lily grow? Everybody, anybody seen a lily grow? No, no. It's a perennial. It's a perennial. It grows in the lots of dirty water. I mean, the lilies in the water. No, we're, you're thinking of a um, <laughs> lotus. You're thinking of a lotus flower, or a lily pad, or a lily pad. Or, a lily, pad. or a lily does grow. Actually, some lilies do. It's a water lily. Yes. Okay, you're thinking of a water lily that's a good one though I'll use the water lily since you bring up the water lily where's the water lily start in the mud in the the muck and it what's it do it comes up through the water and as it comes through the water what's the water Holy Spirit Holy Spirit as it comes and the Holy Spirit matures it because we're in a process of maturity amen and we come through this maturity process and we get to the top of the water and we open up what's going to happen Beautiful, pure white flower. Amen? How was that flower when it was halfway through the water? You know that flower was still pure white. Amen? Still pure white. It's the revelation of the fruit. The flower. What a beautiful thought, huh? So... We have to stay connected. Stay our hearts upon Christ. Amen. Maranatha, 256.1 The outpouring of the Spirit in the day of the apostles was the beginning of the early or former reign, and glorious was the result. So once that seed's in the ground, and it's sitting there in the ground, what's it need? In order to germinate, what's it need? Water. Sunshine. Sunshine. It will need sunshine, amen? Water. But it needs water. Why does a seed need water to germinate? Activate its metabolism? It starts its growing process. It has sprout inhibitors on that seed. You wash those sprout inhibitors off, and all of a sudden the enzymes start to come to life and shift you have an enzymatic shift in that plant that tells the plant you need a tail you need to put some roots down then all of a sudden it's interesting we grow microgreens we grow sunflower microgreens and when you look at the sunflower microgreen if you've ever eaten sunflower seeds you crack that little shell open and you see the seed in there if you look at that little little seed you'll notice there's a little tail on that seed you ever notice that That little tail is the root did you know that and did you know that the little seeds you ever break them apart you see there's two little thing two little two little seed halves on the sunflower seed anybody ever done that those are the leaves that's the cotyledons and when you when you're doing sunflower sprouts and you brush off those little leaves for the first time what you'll notice is you can really see where that little tail is growing right out of there and those two little seeds are turning into leaves what a miracle Right. this is the process of germination and so water comes down and what's the water as the early disciples what, were the, what was poured out upon the early disciples Holy Spirit. the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the disciples and what do they get oh a great harvest amen the Spirit of Prophecy volume 3 page 24.1 The act of Christ in breathing upon his disciples the Holy Ghost and in imparting his peace to them was as a few drops before the plentiful showers to be given on the day of Pentecost. Jesus impressed this fact upon his disciples, that as they should proceed in the work, instruct, sorry, that they should proceed in the work, instruct it to them, they would be more fully they would more fully comprehend the nature of that work and the manner in which the kingdom of Christ was to be set up on earth. So, what do we see here in the early time of the of the apostles? Christ comes; he's in the upper room, and he breathes upon them, and they receive the early rain. Everyone know that? Everyone familiar with that? That that was the early rain. Because the we think of the early rain as Pentecost, don't we? But the early rain at the time of the disciples, right here, we just read it, it was a few drops that brought the initial onset of that work. And how do I know that the, the all of a sudden that what we call the early rain can be called the latter rain at the day of Pentecost? Because God tells the end from the beginning. Because He tells us, how does the Book of Daniel read? Repeat and enlarge. Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8. They're repeating the same story, but they're giving more information. So here we see a picture of the bigger picture, which is Pentecost. And when's the latter rain come? (laughs) Amen. Now, hopefully, it's not falling on hearts all around us, is it? Because we may miss it. We may miss it. But these tools here, God has given us these tools that we don't have to miss it. These parables, this agricultural parable, all the parables, the parable of the building of the buildings, the parable of the sower and the seed, the parable of the lost, the, the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl of great price. They're all telling us this story, right? We're talking about the parable of agriculture today. Amen? Where are we at here? Spalding and McGann, 86.1. Now, I want to talk about some science. We're going to get to, hopefully, once that plant has two cotyledons, it's going to, we're going to look at the process of, what are those two cotyledons going to do? You know what a, does everyone know what a cotyledon is? Am I speaking a foreign language? I don't know. A cotyledon are the first two plant first, first two leaves that come out when a plant sprouts. They're usually different. You notice they don't look like the rest of the leaves on the plant. what a, what a seed does when it germinates is all the energy that it has is going to go into putting out those two cotyledons. And that's the photosynthetic energy that that plant's going to have to photosynthesize to create all its energy. It's going to put a taproot down, but those two leaves are the key to this. Those two leaves are the photosynthetic engine that's going to drive everything about this plant. We'll get into the photosynthetic engine here in a few minutes. But I wanted you to to know that's where we're going to go here. But I want to read this statement because when I was looking this up, I looked up the word microbe. And this is the only quote in the Spirit of Prophecy that I could find that talked about microbes. And it's interesting because it's a warning. So I want you to be on your guard when we talk about this. All right? And this is going to tell you why you need to be on your guard. So let's read it. This is Spalding and McGann, page 86.1. Much of the talk about science, I know, is a snare. Men have erroneous views about science. They should be searching diligently to see if they are accepting Christ as their personal Savior. Talk less, exalt science less, let your Redeemer be the one exalted. The melody of heaven is praise to God and the Lamb. It sounds forth from the voice of 10,000 times 10,000 of thousands. Why does not praise flow from our lips? Why are we so dumb? The Lord is ready to disclose to His church more and more of His wonderful power and to open new lines of thought in regard to the great plan of redemption, the love, the matchless love that moved Him to give His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This quote's going to go on and I want to move on a little quicker here. Let me tell you, it is not safe for us to employ as instructors in our institutions, those who are not believers in the present truth. They advance ideas and theories that take hold of the mind with a bewitching power that, that absorb the thoughts, making the world of an atom and an atom of the world. If we had less to say in regard to microbes and more to say in regard to the matchless love and power of God, we would honor God far more. I'm going to pause there for a minute. What do you think she's trying to communicate? Do you think we shouldn't study science? She's not saying that. She's saying there's false science. And when we make science our God, we have distorted and confounded and confused the science that we learned in the first class. We looked at education, the science of salvation. And we're supposed to have true education, and the sciences are supposed to reveal and manifest God to us. So when we look at the sciences, we want to see how it's a picture of Christ and the science of salvation. Amen? So as we look at science, when your kids are in science class, when you're looking at science, because you want to know how to make things grow in the soil, right? It's science, but it's true science. And all true science, like photosynthesis, is a true science. We need to see it in the light of how it shows us Christ. Amen? All right. It goes on. These things are dwelt upon too much, and the things we ought to know, which concern our eternal interest, receive altogether too little attention. Throw a veil over the poor decaying earth, which is corrupting on account of the wickedness of its inhabitants. The point to the... And point to the heavenly world. There is need of far more teaching in regard to having in this life a vital connection with God through Christ. That we may be fitted to enjoy heaven and dwell forever with our Lord. If we would attain to the pure, ele- if we would attain to the pure elevating idea of character, we must lift up Jesus. The perfect example, the exalting of science will never accomplish the work. We can have all the right science. We can have all the right methodology. We can know how to make our soils work. But if we don't tie that to the exaltation of Christ, then we're just like the world. Every drop of rain or flake of snow, every spire of grass, every leaf and flower and shrub testifies of God. When we go to farmer's market when we're bringing our produce to our neighbor, when we're having communion with our families and we bring our food over, do we know how to testify to them through the workings of our hands and explain to them, look how this works. Let me explain to you how the the parable of the squash works. Have you ever heard the parable of the squash? That's because no one taught it to you. But do you think the squash has a parable? I promise it does. Because listen, every drop of rain or flake of snow, every spire of grass. If every spire of grass has a revelation of Jesus Christ, then the squash does too. Amen? We should find those things. We should mine them as hidden treasure. And when we mind them, when we go to our family, when we go to people who don't believe in God and we are able to communicate to them the beauties of how God works in nature, what's it going to do to their heart? It opens the heart. It connects us to them in ways that argument will not. It cannot. Are we going to argue with with people? No. We love people, right? We love them. And because we love them. Wait a minute. Can you love anybody? Apart from Christ, you can't love anybody. And so we love them because we see Christ in these things. This is the second book. It's teaching us of Christ. And how do we become like Christ? We become by beholding Him. Is it just when we read our Bibles in the morning for morning devotion? Sabbath, when we hear the preacher. Every day. You're in the middle of a busy city. Every city has a tree growing by the street somewhere, a blade of grass somewhere. It's testifying of who? It's testifying of God. We need to be finding these things because this is what connects us to Christ. Because when we see that blade of grass, what should it remind us? Ah, oh, my Heavenly Father. He's been here. It testifies of Him. Amen? It's not nature worship. We're not worshiping nature, right? Don't be confused. Don't have a false science we're reading, right? This is a false science. But we want true science. Amen? Science of salvation. These little things so common around us teach the lesson that nothing is is beneath the notice of the infinite God, nothing too small for his attention. God is to be acknowledged for what he does not reveal of himself than from that which is open to our limited comprehension. If men could comprehend the unchangeable wisdom of God and could explain that which he has done or could do, they would no longer give him reverence or fear his power. In divine revelation, God has given to men mysteries that are incomprehensible to command their faith. This must be so. If the ways and works of God could be explained by finite minds, he would not stand as supreme. Now let me ask you something. When you read that, does that mean that we don't understand these things? He's revealed them to you in the parables. What he has given to you and yours is Forever. And though it may be foolishness to the world, what's he going to do? He's going to take the foolish things to confound the wise. So when we learn the parable, when we share the parable, they may say we're fools. But you are revealing God. Wow. I mean, did you know? Did someone tell you this? It's everywhere around you. Everywhere you go, you know there's coming a time of trouble that the world has never known. Do you know Christ went to the cross and he was all alone? But do you know there was a lady who anointed his feet? Do you know that smell was on him? The smell was on him when we face that trial that parable will be all around you it will be in every spire of grass and it's in the knowledge of what that means to you what God, what Christ has done for you that you will stand unmovable unshakable bind yourself to him Son of Righteousness. And we're going to read about the Son of Righteousness here. In Malachi 4.2 it says, But unto ye that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arrive with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. What were we studying? Maturity? Growing up in Christ? Did you notice something funny about that? Something has always struck me when I read this verse. Something odd. Anything about this strike you odd? Calves don't photosynthesize? No, calves don't photosynthesize, but no. Look at that word sun. We are not sun worshipers. Why is it S U N? Because it's not S O N, son of Righteousness. It's the S U N of righteousness. Now that's a strange is that a parable? Do you think this might be a parable? Yeah. I think this is a parable. It wasn't that exciting? Now we've got an adventure to go on, don't we? <laughs> in order to understand what is comprehended in the work of education, we need to consider both the nature of man and the purpose of God in creating him. Does everybody here understand the nature of man? Yeah. Alphabet, nature nature of man? Threefold nature? Yeah? If you don't know the nature of man, if you can't answer that question directly and assuredly, go study the nature of man. It is powerful and profound. Let's go on. We need to consider also the change of man's condition through the coming in of a knowledge of evil. And God's plan for still fulfilling His glorious purpose in the education of the human race that's coming from Education, page 14.4. I say that because if you were here in the first lecture, it was largely about education in the place of education, and we need to understand what true education is, and that the A, B's, and C's of agriculture, of education or agriculture. And so we should be learning about the nature of man in these parables. We should be learning about who we are, our tendency for sin, our tendency to do that which we are... Paul says, I do that which I would not, but that that I would do, I do not, right? So we need to understand this, because if we don't understand how we work, if we don't understand how we function, and the parables are there to help us understand that, if we don't understand that, we can't really, if you're in the garden and you don't know what's wrong, can you fix it? We need to understand our problem, that sin nature that entered in at the fall. So we'll go on, Desire of Ages, page 22. In the beginning God was revealed in all the works of creation. It was Christ that spread the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. It was his hand that hung the worlds in space and fashioned the flowers of the field. His strength setteth fast the mountains. The sea is his and he made it. Psalms 65, 6, 95, 5. It was he that filled the earth with beauty and the air with song and upon all things in earth In air and sky, he wrote the message of the Father's love. On all these things, it's not just Christ, right? Because who did Christ come to reveal? The The very first thing, the Father. To vindicate the the Father's character. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen. And so all these things that we look around us, our Heavenly Father... You know, his heart is just like Christ. He loved us so that he gave us his only begotten son. And he gave us all these parables. Why do he give us these parables? <laughs> so that we might know him better. That we may not know him fully and completely. All right. We've got seven minutes. I'm going to unfortunately skip on here. Anybody know what a photon is? It is a light unit. Amen. It is a light unit. It's a wave particle duality. Does anybody know what duality means? No, it has a, a twofold nature. Well, isn't that interesting? Don't you think that's interesting? A light wave. Looks, when we do it, when we draw it, we kind of can you see that? It's yellow. It's kind of hard to see. Can you see it? Oh, yeah, turn out the light. Can you see it better? That's what a light wave looks like. It's it's how we represent it often. But did you know when we say light wave, it has a reaction. If you put it through a hole, electromagnetic uh, electromagnetic, electromagnetic radiation would spread out. There'd be a diffraction when you put it through a hole. Do you see the picture? Can you see the picture at all? It's basically two lines with a hole and it has round lines that come out like a a diffraction, like a wave you would see in a pond. Well, do you understand my explanation? Yes. Okay, so that's what that is actually looking like even though you can't really see it there. Sorry about that. And then we can have it as a constructive interference. Remember I told you I was gonna give you some science and I gave you the warning about science first, right? So keep me in check here. So this is what it would look like. If you can see here, this has kind of got two colors, kind of a yellow and a bluish green. But when you lay them on top of each other, we call that constructive interference, okay? So I wanna mention something else before we go on. Light, light and I'm gonna read this because it's, a, it's kind of a definition. It says, light in the infrared, visible and ultraviolet ranges, which falls between x-ray and microwave wavelengths are between 10 nanometers and one millimeter, all right? So that's kind of the range that light falls in. You have microwave ovens, you have gamma rays, you know, all the different x-rays, those are all light waves, right? And then we have the visible, that's how we see color, is through the reflection of light. So a constructive interference says this, occurs when the maxima of two waves add together, the two waves are in phase, so that the amplitude of the resulting wave is equal to the sum of the individual amplitudes. Now, you don't need to understand what I just read. You just need to understand that this is what a wave looks like, okay? And when they're in this, laying on top of one another, this is what it's called, and this is how it works, does that make enough sense? You can follow that. Test me. Prove all things hold to which is true. If I'm wrong, don't teach it. Correctly teach it. The principle is going to remain. But it's it's a definition that I I believe is a true definition. So you can also have destructive interference, and destructive interference is when wave patterns go against each other. And so it would look. You can't see it. But if you see here, there's a yellow, a light yellow line and this blue line. So they're going against each other. The two waves are crossing over each other and not in harmony with each other. Can you see that? Okay, that's called destructive interference. Destructive interference occurs when the maximum of two waves are 180 degrees out of phase. Um, a positive displacement of one wave is canceled exactly by a negative displacement of the other wave. The amplitude of the resulting wave is zero. The point that I want to make when I show you these two things is that this is how we understand light waves. This is how waves work. Because what did I say? Wave particle duality? There's a duality with light. And I want to share with you what the duality of light is here. In the early 18, you can read it there with me. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, physicists discovered light can act like a particle too. So a light wave is a continuum. Do you see that? But it acts like a particle as well. Now a particle isn't a continuum. It's measurable. It's discrete. And so it goes on. It says light can can only deposit discrete amounts of energy. I do not mean small. So like, it's not necessitated that it's a small amount of energy. It can deposit large amounts of energy, but it comes in chunks. You follow me? So what What do you think the parable is? We're supposed to bend our minds. You heard that statement? Where does the photon come from? From the sun. We get photon energy from the sun, the sun of righteousness. And when that photon arrives, it comes into duality. It comes in duality. It comes in a waveform not does not have discreteness to it, and it comes in a discrete form. That's how we understand it. I want to be really clear. We don't really understand light. <laughs> but this is how we, when we try to communicate light, this is how we see it. And so... What I would propose, and you should consider, I think, is that Christ came divine and human. He came tangible in that holy thing. Do you see that? I can't prove that to you. Why? Because my, my interpretation of things is of no value, right? Right? Unless it holds to that which is true, then it's of infinite value. Then spake Je- this is John eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, "I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall walk in, but shall have the light of life." Who's the light? Jesus, Jesus is the light. The light comes in this. Just duality. I think that we are seeing something. Now, why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because all new energy that enters into our system comes in primarily through the sun. And it's a parable. You know why I know it's a parable? Because every spire of grass. Because all of these things are testifying because the Malachi told me that Christ is the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. So that tells me that this is testifying of Christ. And you too can dig out all these hidden treasures because Christ wants to reveal himself to you. Now, I've got some more evidence. It says here, becoming the connecting link between humanity and divinity. Christ is that connecting link. We know that. Amen? Just like the photon is a wave. Non-physical and physical. Christ is 100% man and 100% divine. Amen? So you test that. I'll tell you that if you come back tomorrow night... I was hoping to get to this tonight, but I wanted to go into photosynthesis. Because photosynthesis is the means by which all of us are alive. This photon energy that we just looked at, this sun of righteousness, is going to enter into this plant. And all that, that plant is going to do is create a very profound parable. And has anyone ever told you the parable of photosynthesis before? No, I can't be quick. We're going to have to do it. You want to see it? You got a minute? All right. So what I would do is I would read this to you. The Lord has made every provision so that we may have a rich, abundant, joyful experience. John writes concerning Christ, saying, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life is associated with light. And if we have no light from the Son of Righteousness, we can have no life in him. But this light has been provided for every soul. It, and it is only as we withdraw from the light that darkness comes upon us. Jesus said, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In the world about us, there can be no life without light. Where the sun to withdraw his shining, all vegetation, all animal life would have an end. This illustrates the fact that we cannot have spiritual life unless we place ourselves under the beams of the sun of righteousness. If we put a flowering plant in a dark room, it will soon wither and die. As so, we may have some spiritual life. I'm sorry. And so we may have some spiritual life and yet lose it by dwelling in an atmosphere of doubt and gloom. So you think I'm off base? All right, let's pray. Oh, Father, You are You are King of kings and Lord of lords, Father. You are, are all in all. You've been so gracious. You've given us so much. Father, I pray that we not hide our eyes from it, that we not turn away from You and And be content with the things that this world offers us. We've all had a bad education, Lord. You know we've been raised in this world. We've been in a world of sin. It's fallen and broken. And our families, even the best of our families, Lord, are are just Laodiceans. And so, Father, we know apart from you we have no hope, and so we ask you to impart to our minds the Son of Righteousness, that you would enter in and dwell within us, that we might shine forth in brilliance, that we might be fit vessels to be held up as an ensign, that this world might see you and be drawn to you. As that serpent in the times of Moses was held up, that healing would be brought if they just but would look. Father, I pray that we would be that tool That we might be a fit vessel, fit men. That we might stand for you though the heavens fall. That you would be glorified. Not that we would be lifted up, but that you would be lifted up. Settle our minds in this. Help us to dig deep. To mine the treasures you've set before us. That we might be settled. That we cannot be moved is our prayer. In Jesus' name, it's for his sake we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse